BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with OCR Bunny and OCR Strong. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related. Welcome to BeastNet. Today on this special Labor Day weekend edition of BeastNet, Pretty Mike talks with Coach Megan Beck, the OCR trainer, catching up on the last month, talking about your lower legs and how to be more effective on the trail been having issues i had a tooth pulled like a week ago so i've slept like four hours in the last week so oh yikes because i was supposed to do the olympic distance and i knew i wasn't at 100 percent because i haven't been sleeping so friday i decided to email him. i'm like can i drop to the sprint just because i know more of my body is right now and this one had a four hour time ca- time hack on the olympic and my last olympic i was right about the four hour mark so i'm like i know not feeling 100 percent I know that's going to be a tough push for me. And I was like, with two weeks before the Ironman, I don't think I need a DNF on my brain. Right. I switched it to the sprint, but I still, I just, I wasn't a hundred percent. Like my right arm actually started cramping in the swim. Never had a problem like that before. Really? Your arm was cramping. Yeah. My right bicep started cramping while I was in the swim. And I'm like, that's a new one on me. So, and then the second I got off the bike, like I went to go run and like my calf was like, Hey, remember me? I'm like, yeah, I do now. (laughs) oh no so it was just yeah my body is not where it should be and I know part of that is to sleep I haven't been yep yeah because it was a back molar and he had to like took him over an hour and he had to like break it in half to get it out so it's oh it's still like I'm if I don't have Tylenol and like ibuprofen every like four hours I'm I can't sleep I'm in pain I'm waking up every night at about the four hour mark having to take more oh yikes it has not been good. So that sounds awful. But it was kind of one of those I knew it was going to be an issue, but I'm like, I'm still going to go for the sprint. So, but okay. It wasn't perfect, but I finished it. So I know I've got to, there's a few things I need to try and figure out. I need to figure out that cap. I thought that cap was doing better, but I don't know if it's just because I haven't slept. But yeah, I mean, it was immediate. I hadn't even gone a tenth of a mile and that calf was on fire. I'm like that. Okay. Is it the like is your calf just cramping or what's going on with it? Um it's more like when I'm running like a throbbing, like I mean I don't know, it's hard to explain because it's not feel like a real cramp, like you know, a cramp when it's like cramping up. It's just a throbbing pain once I'm running, but it's not every time. I've been fine for a while, but I don't know why it was all of a sudden, you know, because that was one of the reasons I stopped the 5k a day because I was having that issue. And then it just kind of, but then because I was running different because my calf was on fire, my foot started cramping by the end of it. So, and it was only a 5k. So, and all of a sudden my right foot started cramping. I'm like, well, that's a whole new, another new one. (laughs) So, like I said, it's weird though, because I don't know if a lot of this is just because I'm tired. Because like I said, I mean, I can look at my Garmin and I've been getting maybe four to five hours of sleep and it's not good sleep. It's rest, unrestful sleep and just, yeah, it's or not restful, but you know, yeah, restless sleep. So, so it could be a number of things. What terrain are you training on currently? Um, it's a mix. If I go, um, I haven't been using treadmill. I've been trying to use a treadmill less and less. Um, but mainly I've been trying to do, if I run, it's concrete, 
asphalt sidewalk and then uh part of its trail so it's kind okay. of, of all of it okay and do you know how much you're like heel striking versus midfoot striking no okay so a lot of times with calf stuff it might not actually be the calf it could be that your shins are really tight so as you stride through your foot it looks like this so as you're running you're you're holding like that upper part of your foot up mm -hmm. so then when you do go to stride you might be hitting heel or like hitting full foot at the same time and you're not getting enough of that like push off so instead your calves which would be like back here are constantly on this stretch because the shins are so tight to hold up like that front part of your foot so your calves could be burning because they are constantly stretching and because everybody just assumes oh my calves must be really tight let's stretch our calves if you're on a constant stretch and then you go to stretch them some more you're just aggravating it more that makes sense so i should be stretching the shins yeah okay. i'd say i tell everybody stretch the calves stretch the shins just because Shuts they they work so well together yeah. that if one is tight, the other one is overworked. So it's not getting stretched in its proper position. Mm -hmm. It's getting stretched based on how the shins are pulling it and vice versa. So like anybody who has like flat feet or has issues with their arches collapsing, it's more because of the shins being either most likely underworked so very tight and just un unaware of what they're supposed to do mm -hmm. as opposed to staying active i was actually out on a trail run today with one of my clients who has a like personalized program that he follows on his own and he's like um I've been following your program and, you know, I've done a lot of running programs through the years for various sports. And there's one exercise that I've never seen before until you gave it to me, it's like the toe taps. And it's literally just sit down on a box or whatever else and tap your toes as fast as you can. I say, yeah, that is to keep your shins active, teaching you how to actually press down from your shins as you are running or whatever else hmm. so you're getting an active contraction through your shins and they're working properly now it's not a bad idea most people just naturally roll through on their foot mm -hmm. and they're thinking calves but they're not thinking push off from your midfoot which is going to activate your shins yeah which is kind of a problem for me because that's where i broke the left foot is that spot and they said i would never get the correct push off because of that break but they also told me i never run again so i already proved them wrong on that one so i mean ultimately you need to train the muscle because it's a muscle that if you're not training it it's not going to work properly but you still have the muscle they didn't take the muscle out so i don't understand yeah. why they think that it's not going to work properly they're just well, they giving just you this the... false sense yeah. and now you're like oh well it's never going to work so why bother training it anyways yeah. it's like and people that, that say that yeah it was more the structure of it they figured with the structure because my foot's not right but it's like whatever it's but like i said they told me i never run again but 
It's like a doctor telling somebody with a bad back, don't deadlift. Like, no, actually, if you work it and learn the process behind it all, you can gain full function. And it's actually probably going to make your foot feel better or with the Mm -hmm. deadlifts, it's going to make your back feel better. You just have to know what it is you're doing and how to properly do it. Yeah. So I need to start stretching that shin. So hopefully that'll help. So no. No, but it was, I mean, besides that, I mean, the triathlon was good. I mean, it was good to get out there. I mean, I've got the Ironman in less than two weeks. Well, actually two weeks from tomorrow. So it was good to kind of get a a feel of where I'm at, but it's tough to really gauge because at the same time, like I said, I'm also running off very little sleep and everything else, but yeah, so it was definitely an interesting, I did make the the choice, which I really regretted of not wearing the wetsuit. And I went for a wetsuit this time because the water temperature was 72 degrees. And I'm like, oh, Oh. it should be good. But then I really missed the buoyancy of it. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of one of those, I missed having that buoyancy. So it's like, I forgot that that was one part I didn't think about. So Mm -hmm. I just went out in shorts and did the swim. So sorry for everyone that had to see that when I got out of the water and me just a pair of shorts, but yeah, (laughs) but it was, yeah. So, but that was a, a choice that I made and I'm like, yeah, that probably wasn't the best, but it's, you know, live and learn, it. live and learn. So mm-hmm. I, it's, you know, the wetsuit isn't just the heat. It's also that buoyancy. Yeah. It does help with that. Yep. So, yeah, but you know, live and learn and that's kind of it. So, you know, trying to figure out, I got to figure out that, you know, that calf it's starting to, like I said, but maybe that's what it is. It might be that I just need to, and the more I think about it, I probably do heel strike more than I should. Because mm-hmm. when I start getting my calf starts to bug me and my legs start to bug me, I start going moving differently because of it. And that's probably why I'm also starting to get the cramping in my foot because I'm heel striking and trying to compensate for the pain in that calf. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because your shins do pull on that arch and it affects how much activation you're getting from the bottom of your foot. So if your arch is staying really high because your shins are super tight, then you're not going to be able to actively walk off of your foot properly. And you're most likely getting turned out or whatever else. And then you could eventually develop something like plantar fasciitis or whatever else. No, I don't want that. I've had that before. That's horrible. No, don't want that at all. No, not at all. No, no. So I'll have to work on that. Yeah. It was funny too. I had a right before I went to Hawaii, I had a massage and my massage therapist noticed the difference in my foot. She could yeah. feel like it, she could feel the way that the the tendons and everything on the bottom of my foot are different. Oh, they used to be. Yeah, they feel different because when I, I mean, I did major damage, so my foot bent completely, like taco. My toes touched my heel. Oof. So, yikes! It was one of those fun ones too. It's like, you know, I tell everyone the best part was too, is when they took the picture or took the x-ray and then the nurse is yelling at the other nurses, come here, you got to look at this one. I'm like, oh, <laughs> not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got pictures of it and it's like, you can see all the bones are like twisted and off to the wrong angles. And yeah, it's my left foot's a half an inch shorter and a half an inch wider than it used to be. I'm okay with not seeing those pictures, but thank you. Oh yeah. It was big. My whole foot swelled up. It took... Yeah six weeks of my foot being wrapped in a compression bandage to it for it to almost get back to its normal size. Oh, yikes. Everyone's like, why didn't they cast it? I'm like, they couldn't. Cause it never, the swelling never went down. It didn't go down until like pretty much 
Yeah. Like, okay. At this point, there's no point in even the cast. So. Yep. Yep. And by then surgery is even off the table. Yep. And then I did Hawaii. Eight weeks after the break. That is insane. No. Not recommended. No, I don't recommend it. It was one of those ones, like I tell you, what's so funny is my doctor said it was okay. I asked him, I'm like, can I do this? And he's like, yeah, you can do it. Just don't land on that foot. And I'm like, okay. So I did the entire, I, I DNF the beast because I couldn't move quick enough, obviously, because I was in a boot And Hawaii is not an easy beast, mm-hmm. but I finished the super. So I've got a picture of, you know, with the boot and the, the super metal. And yeah, when I came back, I showed that, you know, I told the doctor, I'm like, I probably need a new, new air cast. He's like, oh, we're supposed to put you in a new, you know, brace anyway. And he looked at it and he's like, I don't think I fully understand what you understood, what you asked me. <laughs> looking at that, there's no way you should have been doing that. And I'm like, you said I could. <laughs> yeah. 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 He didn't understand what a Spartan race was. I don't think, I think he just thought I was going to go like walk. It's a fun run. Yeah. Just do a fun run or something. It's like, no, this isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun. No, oh. but um, I don't think it qualifies under no. the fun run guidance no. guidelines. No, it, it was a blast, but I did that. I know. I think what, since the last time we talked, I did both Seattle trifecta weekend and West Virginia or not West Virginia, but Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, and it's one of those things I was talking to someone the other day. I feel like August was a slack month for me. Cause I just like, everything was, I'm like, I just need a break. I just need to kind of slow down, let my body take a break. And they're like, but you did two trifectas. I'm like, but really, that's all I did was those four days. And then that was kind of like, I just took the whole month and just like, I need it. Yeah. You know, I did my mile a day and that was it. Mm-hmm. But I still hit a hundred miles in a month though. Cause the last couple of days I did run a little extra to make sure I got hundred miles, but. Oh, well, congratulations. Cause yeah, you know, I'm dumb, but <laughs> I just needed that, you know, I think I needed the break. My body was angry. You kept telling me that I should have taken it a long time ago. So yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. No. And Hawaii was brutal. The Hawaii beast was 10 times worse than just the whole Seattle weekend. Really? Oh, yeah. How did it compare to every other Hawaii year? It was more worse. It was really? the worst year. I think the only year that would have been harder was the year I was in the boot. And that was because that year it rained. What made it so much harder? The hills. They used every bit of the hills as they could. There was over 3,000 feet of elevation gain, according to my Garmin. Okay. In the beast. So over 3,000 feet in the beast. At one point, because you start at sea level, we hit a 1,000 foot elevation twice. Okay. So, and when you hit that 1,000 feet, that's in like a mile. You're going straight up the side of a hill where there's parts where, I mean, I put a video of... It wasn't even one of the worst parts on my, my Facebook where you're reaching up and grabbing like branches and trees and pulling yourself up the side of the hill. Wow. So it's, and they did that. But then also once you got done every other hill, it was past years. It's been like, you go down the hill, do whatever, and then come back up. It was go down the hill, come back up the hill, go down the hill. And they snaked up and down the hill for my, I mean, and it was just Everybody I talked to said that was the hardest one they've ever done. Whoever designed that course. And the one year we did it, it was like 16 miles. And this was, it came out to over 15, but whatever. That's but was, so insane to hear. I have clients that went out to Hawaii and yeah. I, I just saw them this past week and they're getting ready for Killington. And so I'm training 
these two kids and um, their dad is, you know, he's done the trifecta chasing. He's ultra yeah. racer. Like he's done a bunch of races. So the kids are only running the sprints right now. So we're training the kids to get ready for Killington. And they just ran the Hawaii sprint. And I was like, oh, how did it go? And like, how, how were the hills? How was all the climbing? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, there really wasn't much climbing in the sprint. And then the, and, yeah. There's their dad, their dad was like, oh, yeah, Hawaii's really not that hilly, of course. Did he, <laughs> did he do the beast? Yeah, he did the full trifecta. I'm surprised because, yeah, because it's, yeah, like I said, Mark Garmin showed over 3,000 feet of elevation. It's, I, I think you need to come up and run Killington. I, I've heard Killington's worse, but yeah. No. Killington's so much worse. So I'm like, oh, it's only 3,000 feet. That's, you know, nothing. See, I'm used to the West Coast. So like, which yeah. kills me because it's so funny because everyone's like, oh, the West Coast has mountains. I know, but they don't use them. Like well, Big Bear and Tahoe. Big Bear and Tahoe. But other than that, like Seattle, flattest course I've ever done. Oh, yeah. It's bad. Totally flat. I mean, it's like we're in Washington. We have two completely different mountain ranges. We have like six volcanoes. And you pick the flattest place you could find. It's crazy. We just said that on middle of the pack about the New England venue as well. It, the New England, the New Hampshire Motor Speedway is, you know, right next to the Bell Naps. I mean, you're an hour away from the White Mountains. How on earth do you find a venue that has like negative 20 feet of elevation along the entire course? Yeah. It was so boring and flat. Mm -hmm. And that's Seattle. That's like one thing, like when I sit there and I'm like, you know, I don't know if I, I should do like the whole trifecta weekend in Seattle the weekend before going to Hawaii. And then I'm like, but it's Seattle. <laughs> I'm like, there's no, you know. Besides the obstacles, it's just, it's flat and it's easy. There's one tough hill in Seattle. I think mm -hmm. Seattle had, I think according to my Garmin, maybe like 500 feet of elevation. Wow. That's it. That's crazy. Yeah. I was saying that for New England, there's no reason to put a New England race a month before Killington in a flat venue. Mm -hmm. I stayed at um, Gunstock Mountain in New Hampshire, which is 20 minutes from the venue that we were at. It's right on Lake Winnipesaukee. It's a ski area. It's got, you know, adventure, everything. They have ropes mm -hmm. courses for kids. They've got pools and they have all, all this other stuff. So it's a great location with camping on site. And they're really struggling as, uh, you know, recreation area to bring mm -hmm. anything there. I'm like, why would Spartan not use that? You yeah. have a ski mountain, but then you also have really great rolling trails all around the entire area. You have a campground that's just over a bridge. So people could realistically camp on site and then walk to the venue, walk back. You can have this huge like Spartan party mm -hmm. and you're going to get more people out there who are training for Killington. Plus, because it's right in the lakes region in the summer, it would be like a destination race. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that's like, you know, that kills me with Seattle. It's like, I mean, it's one of those things when we move out of here, I don't know if I'll come back for the Seattle races because there's no point. 
No, it's just, it's flat. It's easy. I mean, the, the hard part is, and I, and I love Spartan. I mean, I'm a Spartan ambassador. I shouldn't talk crap about them, but occasionally I do, but, um, <laughs> but it's one of those things that we've talked about this before. The obstacles are the same. The only thing that keeps you going to a different venues is the terrain. So if yeah. you're just going to have, you know, a flat, easy course, I can go play with those obstacles anytime. So yeah. give me a place. The only time I want that, you know, Dallas, I'm okay with, cause it's the ultra and I'm going for that. I want to go for the ultra again, but I'm thinking that, you know, this year I want to do the ultra in Dallas, but then I think if I'm going to do another ultra, I want to go somewhere else. I want to try, you know. I don't know about Hawaii. I don't know if I could, that would kill me, but eventually I want to get to that point where I don't feel like that's going to kill me. Right. But you always pick that easier one to say, okay, this is the one I'm going to try out, get it done, get one under my belt and then move on to the harder ones. Yeah, completely. I mean, I started with Carolina and I got like 4,000 feet of elevation over the entire ultra. I'm like, arguably this was probably a little too easy for me it's the only one that fit into my schedule mm -hmm. I'm like you know I want to go out and I want ultra Killington eventually so why not test myself at Carolina and see if I can go and actually run an ultra without you know any of those factors of hypothermia or you know 1500 feet of or 15,000 feet of elevation you don't want hypothermia hypothermia is fine yeah, no, I just don't think that it should be an obstacle. Mm. Seattle yeah. used to have that in the April one, and that's actually yeah. one of the things. And a lot of people uh, completely disagreed with me on this. I preferred April for that because it made it it made it a challenge. Yeah, no, I left Seattle, you know, close to hypothermia, in tears. My friend tossed his dry robe on me, and I stripped down out of all of my wet clothes. I walked into the hotel naked in a dry robe, shaking and immediately drew up like the hottest bath of my life and just sat there while he went and got tacos and wine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and, but that's the thing is, I mean, being from, from here, it's like, I don't have to, you know, I'm just going home afterwards. I mean, it made it challenging, made me want to go there, but it's like the one in, you know, they tried, they moved to September or August, August now instead of September. And it actually, in all reality, just made it a dust bowl. So that was a big problem this year. It was just, it was a dust bowl everywhere. Yeah. We were in, I mean, it was like, I was coughing up dust for like three days. So yikes. But, you know, but Hawaii, if you ever get a chance, Hawaii is just, I mean, the other thing, Hawaii is gorgeous. I mean, you're going yeah. up and down through these trails and then the humidity is what gets you as well. So for someone like me, who's from, you know, Seattle, you would think I know humidity, but I don't until I go to Hawaii and it's humid and hot in my body. The people I was running with were from there and they went through maybe like one, you know, one, you know, thing on their camelback, like once I filled mine four times during the beast. Wow. Cause I just couldn't seem to get enough water. And I mean, I was wet the whole time, whether it was sweat or whatever, it was just, I was soaked because I just, I'm from here. I'm from Washington. I'm used to cold and cold and damp. Mm -hmm. And as Washington. That's yeah. That's <laughs> why I love new England. We get all four seasons. Um, our summers can get really humid though. And it's atrocious, but yeah, we don't get, we get like, Two months, uh, like a month of summer, and then like basically fall 
for till summer starts again. And we might get like a two or three days of winter. Oh. So. Okay. There's been times where I can remember we go three or four years without ever seeing snow. Jealous. No. Actually, it's, I'm not because I really love snow. I do too, but <clears throat> the the gray it's boring it's it's it kills you here <laughs> it's yeah yeah i just hate people driving in the snow because they don't know how and to that's drive. that's my thing i i love driving so i love it but i hate other people so and i like running in like fresh powder oh no give me a nice hard packed snow i'm good well, okay, a hard pack snow is one thing, but see here in, in, in Seattle, you pretty much either get fresh powder or slush. Oh, yeah. So, and a hard pack, if we could get a hard pack here, a hard pack would be great. But the problem that I have is running here, you either get that nice fresh powder that you can just kind of plow right through and go for it, or it's slush and you're just slogging through it and you're just wet, cold and disgusting and like, this is horrible. So, but yeah. Yeah, Horrible. our weather is too cold for fresh powder to stay fresh powder for too long yeah or what happens here what a hot it's like just gets warm enough that the top layer melts and then refreezes and then you're just basically smashing through it as you run mm -hmm. so yeah it's you know is what it is so how have things been for you oh my gosh so since we last talked what i was planning to go out to Oklahoma for Battle of the Lions. Yeah. And Battle of the Lions decided to cancel their race two days before. Why would you do that? We have no idea. They have not actually given a reason. And I appreciate that instead of making up an excuse, they just said, oh, no, we suck. We weren't able to do it. But like, it was two days before. I yeah. had a plane tickets. I had a hotel that I lost money on. I had a rental car. Um, ultimately, I found out that it was canceled. And then I immediately threw my dog in the car, dropped him off at my parents' house and said, okay, I'm going and running Savage, Pennsylvania. But I was full on ready to go out to Oklahoma City. Wow. Yeah. That's disappointing. It was. Uh, ultimately, I'm not too disappointed in not having to go to Oklahoma. I'm sorry to anybody listening to this from Oklahoma. It's just not a place on my, on top of my must visit list. But I really wasn't looking forward to 100 degree weather for an endurance race. It was going to be three laps of a five mile course. Mm -hmm. and pushing 100 degree weather in August doesn't sound fun. I, no. I, I had all my planning ready to stay cool, but I didn't have to use it. Instead, I got to go and lachey my heart out at Savage, Pennsylvania. But I mean, that was that fun. I mean, it was so fun. much fun. I remember I, I thought I saw some pictures of that and you were having a blast. So, oh my gosh. So, um, lachey's super fun. But the best part about having the Lachey and where it was in the rig was mm -hmm. the fact that we actually didn't have a lot of bottlenecking at the obstacle because Lachey is such a technique-based skill. Either you have it or you don't. 
There yeah. were a lot of people that weren't afraid to try it because it was over a pool of water. So they would go, they'd give a couple swings and they would, you know, jump for it. But then if they didn't feel they had the confidence to make the catch or, you know, if they didn't feel strong enough that they could get it, mm-hmm. they weren't going to sit around and keep trying. Yeah. So it kept the flow of the obstacle moving a lot better. I think everything about that rig was the best I've seen in a mandatory obstacle completion race. Nice. Yeah. That one sounds like a good one. I mean, yeah. And that's, see, I really want to get to a savage race. Oh yeah. I I'm hoping next year they expand some more. I've talked to a couple people throughout savage and I've heard that Financially, it's still tough for them, mm-hmm. but they are pumping in as much as they can to keep it alive. And I would love to see them go out West. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough for people to really expand for a bit because it's kind of one of those we're coming out of the COVID, out of the, you know, COVID and the quarantines and everything else. But I think a lot of people are still, the races aren't getting the numbers that they used to get. Yeah. Well, inflation is high. So the cost of the races, is going up Mm -hmm. and because it's so much more expensive to put these on to get you know the shirts the medals whatever else it's they can't spend the money on new obstacles yet because the registration numbers aren't quite where they want them to be so the registrations they are getting is going to actually putting on the race paying employees whatever else so nobody's really seeing you know, a profit yet. And without really getting a profit, you can't invest too much on new obstacles. No. So I think it's going to be a little bit of time still, but I would love to see Savage maybe add in another Midwest race. Like there's not much going on in the Wisconsin, Minnesota area. And I know of a good amount of obstacle course racers there. I know yeah. I would probably travel to some place like Wisconsin or Minnesota because I can still get direct flights there. I have friends and family there, so it would be easier for me to travel there. And it's still in that good hotbed of the Midwest where, you know, you have so much awesome stuff going on in the Chicagoland area. People are traveling from all over to Chicago for the abominables, the front lines the highlanders that saying okay well now we're going to put one four hours northwest near the cities mm-hmm. and people would still travel just like i think that you'd still get a lot of people coming from you know that the true midwest the you know prairie lands and whatever else they would start trickling in towards there because they don't have anything else right now battle of the lions has a couple races in that area when they put their races on but spartan doesn't have anything out that way so maybe that could be the next move for savage could be i mean and that would be great and i mean that's kind of one of the things that where i'm looking forward to that you know it, when the move my my move happens and we get mm-hmm. towards texas i'm closer to all that yeah I'll be closer to it. I'll be able to do stuff. And I think one of the big problems is like I was explaining to someone the other day, like right now my body's wrecked because I've done how many events in the last, you know, two and a half months. 
And they're like, why do you do that? And I'm like, because in Washington, we have about a three month window. Mm-hmm. It's about a three to four month window. And once that window's over, races are done. Yeah. So, unless we travel. So it's kind of one of those things that by the time, you know, September rolls around, which where we're at now, my body's toast. And most mm-hmm. of my friends that I know that do this stuff is toast because we've been jamming every race we could into the, those three or four months. I mean, I was looking at, you know, triathlons and stuff because that's what I've been pushing now. After Ironman, there's no more on the schedule until I think June. So I can't, there's no other real, you know, triathlons do in Washington until June. You know, I think there might be one in May, but I mean, and that's the big problem we have over here is we have to push, you know, and I'm sure it happens a lot like that, you know, in New England, but we don't, we get like a couple marathons and a couple 5Ks throughout, you know, the the winter months, but we don't get anything for, you know, maybe like one or two a month where, you know, when I was running and, you know, I used to try and do a 5K as at least a 5K a, a month, you know, of a, a scheduled one. It was always tough mm-hmm. once you got past, you know, you could find October, you could find themed ones. October, there was always, you know, a Halloween one. But other than that, not much. Um, Thanksgiving, November, you could find a Thanksgiving one. December, you could find Christmas ones. But other than that, you go doing, you know, the the summer months. There's just random ones all over the place mm-hmm. every weekend. Yeah. yeah. Every charity throws a 5K. Yep. And it's all <laughs> during the summer months. Yeah. So, and the same thing with triathlons. It's just all of a Sunday, all through the summer months. But now all of a sudden, you know, once the summer months are over, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same thing with, you know, OCRs up here. We don't get them after, you know, we get, you know, but we only get one, two Spartans and a Tough Mudder. There were supposed to be two Tough Mudders, but some genius decided to do Portland's Tough Mudder and Seattle's Trifecta Weekend on the same weekend. And to think they're owned by the same company. Yeah, and to think that the Portland Tough Mudder had to be canceled because they're not how people signed up. It's That's like on the same. It's on the same weekend as a try. You know the Seattle. You know Seattle Trifecta Weekend. You're you're making us choose. We only get so many throughout the year, and you're making us choose. Yeah. So. So yeah, so it's, it, that's the hard part up here in the Northwest. We don't get a lot. And that's why I would love to see some of those come. But like I said, once I moved to Texas, I've looked and there's, you know, I don't remember if I saw, you know, uh, a few out there, but there's a few, there was a couple, there was Spartan has like four or five different ones they do throughout the year. You know, there's a couple of smaller local ones and mm-hmm. then it's only a small jump to the East coast. I mean, you can get direct yeah. flights out of tech out of Dallas or Houston to, to Florida and most of the East Coast every day. Yeah. No. Um, there, there's a lot of airlines that fly direct to East Coast from mm-hmm. Texas. Uh, but there are a good amount of races too. I mean, Battle of the Lions is out of that area. So they have okay. their Dallas event and their Oklahoma event, you know, if they ever actually put them on. Yep. And um savage race has a couple texas events oh do they good yeah um i think both of their texas events are in october this year so i wonder if they're gonna like split those up a little bit more to give people recovery time and do like what they do in maryland where they have like a fall and uh spring 
they do the same thing with Florida. So it would be awesome if, again, I'm harping on Savage, like if, if they could have two locate or two vet races, but like a summer, spring or whatever else to give people that time. But I know that it's tough with lugging everything around. So I give them a little leniency on that one. Yeah. And I mean, here in the Northwest, we used to have, there used to be one that was actually really cool. There was a, a place that did, and I never actually got a chance to go to their event. Um, but they ended up, they didn't make it through COVID, but they had, it was, they had four events throughout the year and it was at the same place, you know, and so it was kind of cool. So you could go down there and I mean, they were a little bit themed events at different times, but one of them was the freeze. So it was in the winter. So it was an actual obstacle course in the winter, but you know, I ended up, I was supposed to go to that one, one year, but of course, cause it was in the winter. It happened to be the one time we got like massive snow up here and nobody drives in the snow. And I live on a hill. <laughs> I live on a hill. And even with my four wheel drive, I like went to leave in the one hill out of my, you know, like where I live, nobody had done anything to it. And I'm like, if I go down this, even with four wheel drive, I don't think I can get back. Oh, yikes. And that was the problem. And there was actually, there was cars on the hill, just abandoned. Oh no. Because the cars had like, they tried coming up the hill, couldn't make it. So they just parked the car and walked up. That's so crazy. Yeah. People don't drive in the snow here because we get it so rare that I mean, if it snows too much, you will find multiple places. If there's a hill and the car gets stuck, they'll just park the car and walk away. Yeah. And leave it in on the hill. Like, not even pull off to the side. Just wherever it stopped going. Well, I mean, if you can't move it, you can't move it. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it's just like for, for those of us that actually have four-wheel drive. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to put my car in four-wheel drive and drive the hill. Yeah. Even my, my Kia Sorento has all-terrain tires so that if. You know, I mean, yep. but I do drive it for work and I do go on job sites. That's the main reason I have the all-terrain tires, but yeah, it's just nobody here drives in the snow, but that's yeah. the other reason why they don't have races in here during the winter. Cause if it snows, nobody's showing up. Yeah. Wow. It, it's so different because it snows here. And I know the city of Boston shuts down for a little bit of snow, but I'm from Wisconsin. I'm like, the only time we had snow days was if the bus couldn't make it out to the country to pick the kids up. And even then it was more like two hour delays because the second it starts snowing, you're treating the roads and you're getting the plows out there and it's safe to drive because we all know how to drive in snow. Nobody here knows how to drive in snow. It's, it's ridiculous. It's if there is anything more than a half an inch, I mean, if it sticks, things start shutting down like schools, everything. Like I can remember, you know, and when I was younger, it used to be like, you know, that when I went to school, they, they put it onto what the snow bus routes. So for us that were out farther, we had to like basically walk like two miles to a different bus stop because they couldn't get up the hill to our house. So my mom was always like, well, it's snow bus routes. Guess you guys aren't going to school because I ain't driving you down there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. But yeah, nobody drives in the snow. They, nobody knows how to drive in the snow here. I've had multiple times where I've had to just, you know, put in four-wheel drive and like weave around cars as I'm going up the hill. Cause so I'm like, they're like, oh, stop and help. I'm like, no, because if I stop at this point, I'm going to slide. So see you later. That's funny. Learn to drive in this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so we're randomly talking about mm-hmm. snow and it's like the start of September. No chance mm-hmm. in hell we're getting snow right now. But ironically, mm-hmm. this also plays into what's going on with me because and I'm going to say it now because the first video should be coming out within the next week but I was asked by Abominable 
in Wisconsin mm-hmm. to um, produce some videos and training content for them. Nice. So um, we are going to be putting out a video every week until their race. And Abominable is the Abominable Snow Race. It's, I believe, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, or in the Lake Geneva area. I have mm-hmm. to get the official location. You probably forgot where you're going to go to run it. Yeah, because I, I want to run it either way. I mean, like if I've you're going to be making years. videos, you have to go do it. I have to go do it. Yeah. So we i finished up the first video for them today about you know training to get ready for this race and part of it or for this one we were talking about running and how to get started in running training and in it we talk about how you know running is different on roads as it's different on trails and then it very much is different out on snow yeah so going back into everything that was happening with you and your ankle, that's why I asked the first thing is what kind of terrain are you running on? Mm-hmm. Because our body mechanics are so much different based on the different types of terrain. Yeah. And they are. And I mean, I'll be honest for me, mostly uh, I feel my body mechanics work the best on the trail. I feel yeah. more comfortable and my legs feel better on a trail. And that's one of the reasons why I've always liked Spartans and stuff like that. I can run through stuff like that. But once you get me on the road, it's the hard hit of that asphalt that kills me. But with snow, I've always liked snow too, because snow gives a softer mm-hmm. kind of like a trail, but then you, you, I don't know, it's still different, but. Well, that's why there's that common misconception that running is bad on your body. Running mm-hmm. is not bad on your body the pounding of the pavement is not the best impact on your joints. No. But if you're strength training properly, if you're using the correct gait, if your body is working, it's not as hard of an impact as you think it is. Ultimately though, trails are going to be the best thing for you. Yeah. Cause that's what we're, and that's what I think a lot of people forget is we were made to run. Mm-hmm. Our bodies were made to do this, but they were not made to run on hard concrete. We were yeah. made to run on trails. I mean, that's what our ancestors did. They ran on trails. Yeah. You know, trails and dirt and everything else. Concrete and asphalt, that's a man-made thing. And that's not what our bodies are made to run on. And that's why we, most of us feel better. Like if I'm running on a, a road and there's a, a shoulder that's big enough, I'm running on the shoulder. Yeah, 100%. Even going out on like a dirt trail with some grass alongside it or some gravel or whatever else, Mm -hmm. you naturally are going to want to pick the thing that is the softest. The the grass actually is really great to run in. I would much rather run in that grass than a little bit harder of, you know, gravel or a hard packed trail. Yeah, every time. Every time, I mean, because you want, I mean, like I said, we're made to do this, you know, and that, that makes so much sense to talk about how the different terrains. And I think that's, you know, because for me too, when I run on different trains, if I'm running on the road, I have, you know, support shoes or whatever you call them, you know, whatever. I can't remember the the stability shoes. Yes. There's the word I was looking for. <laughs> support sounds like I'm like Forrest Gump or something. No, stability because <laughs> I, I run when I've been shown how I run, I run off my toes. So okay, yeah. roll, my foot rolls and I run off my big toe. 
if that okay. makes sense. So I push, yeah, whatever. But when I run on trails, most of the time I'm zero drop. I'll go with, you know, ultras and I run zero drop and I feel fine. But if I try doing that on roads, I know my shins will explode. I swear. They feel like they're going to explode if I do that on a road. But if I run on a trail, zero drop, I'm totally fine with. And that is so impressive because a lot of times with the roads, because you're not getting the changes in all of the terrain. So mm -hmm. you have, you're not having to watch out for rocks and roots and whatever else. It's a little bit easier to go into that zero drop because you're not getting the drastic changes in like elevation or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And what ends up being the hardest part for zero drop transitions for people, especially on trail is when they have hills in there because everybody in their mind are thinking, oh, to hike up this hill, we need to heel strike. And the more you're heel striking in zero drop, the more pressure you're putting on your calves. So the more your shins are becoming tight and again, getting exactly what's going on with your foot and your calf and whatever else, when you go to run, it's you're overstretching your calves and everybody's assuming, oh, my calves are tight. I'm going to stretch them. Well, no, you're just making it worse now. So it's harder for people in that zero drop transition once they get onto the trails. Yeah, see, I, I do fine with the zero drop on trails, but I don't do well on the road. If I have zero drop on the road, that's when I have issues. I start getting shin splints. Okay. Yeah, I definitely stretch your shins then because most likely your shins are holding that foot up so tight that when you do try to run on the road, your foot is coming through and your toes are upward and then you're heel striking. Yeah. Which would make sense too, especially with, you know, the, the road, if I'm running on the road, you know, stability shoes, there's more in the heel, if that makes sense. So yeah, must be someone at your door. He seems. Yeah. I, all three of the apartments in this building have dogs. Uh, so someone's taking them for a walk. Yeah. So we are the bottom floor. So every time he hears a dog coming down the stairs, he sits and barks. Oh, hi, friend. Saying hi to his friends. That was one thing, too, actually, on the, the uh, triathlon today when I was getting into the water. There was someone standing there with a puppy, like a little puppy. And oh. I'm like, can I pet the puppy? <laughs> like, yes. You pet the puppy for good luck. I'm like, yes, please. Let me pet Amazing. the puppy. I love puppies. Oh. Yeah. But, yeah. No, so, yeah, I know I need to, to work on that. That's kind of one of those things I never thought about the shin. And I guess that's, you know, like you said, most people don't. So I just never thought about, oh, maybe mm -hmm. it's my shins. You know, I think because, and that's where I think a lot of us have problems. Once you have pain somewhere, you're like, well, that must be where the problem is. And we forget that our body's linked. Sometimes, you know, a pain in your back could be because of your feet. Yeah. And it depends, you know, one thing goes wonky on our body. It affects everything, you know, up the chain. So if your foot isn't working right, you know, you'll start having problems. Like when I first broke my hook, my foot, it took me a long time to get my hips back. I had mm -hmm. major issues with my hips, you know, right after the foot, you know, and everything. And it took a while for those to get, you know, back to normal. And I had to stretch up a lot. And I'm like, never thought about it until the foot was hurt. And I'm like, oh, gee, now my, my having problems with my hips because my, my foot's so screwed up. 
you know, and people forget that. So it's like, we immediately think, and that's even the mistake I made. My calf's messed up. I must need to massage the calf, stretch the calf, do all that. And then it's like, well, is it the calf or is it my foot? Or is it, you know, like you said, my shins, you know, and maybe my shins, maybe it is my foot because my shins are, are tight and need to loosen up. So my foot hits right, you know, and those are all things that I think we need to think about. And I think that's one of the biggest problems you run into too, with a lot of trainers and, you know, physical therapists, they still, they do that unless you get someone who's good like you, who's like, oh, hey, your calf hurts. Okay. What else are you doing? Mm-hmm. What else is it? What else? Let me look at the chain of events of what's happening here and how things are going and say, okay, maybe it's not your, your calf. Maybe it's your shins. Maybe it's this stretch those out and see what happened. Well, it's so easy to treat the symptoms, mm-hmm. but ultimately if you just continue to put a bandaid on a broken bone, like it's going to heal very wrong and you're just not going to be able to see it because you have this bandaid here. But, yeah. but, you know, if you actually treat the broken bone, then everything is going to miraculously heal the way it should. And I mean, that's probably not the best example because it's totally different than a sprained muscle or whatever else. Yeah. But ultimately there's a cause and effect for everything. And more times than not, the cause is nothing where the aches and pains are. The cause is something completely different. And it's just the chain of events that cause the, or that result in a pulling in a certain place. And it just pulls too much in a certain way. And now you're getting pain or dysfunction in a totally different part of the body. Yes. And I was, again, talking to somebody this morning about running and whatever else. And I rolled my ankle like I always do. Yeah. Chronic Mm -hmm. ankle sprainer. And it was a decent roll. Like they saw it and um, they saw my ankle completely twist onto its side. And then I let out a, you know, expletive. (laughs) And then I just kept running and they're like, uh, are you okay? I'm like, oh yeah, I just really badly rolled my ankle, but I'm fine. They're like, how did you just do that? I'm like, well, I trained my body to roll. They're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, in life, we, our purpose with training isn't to necessarily prevent issues from occurring. We're trying to prevent the injuries. Yes. So instead of, you know, training my body to stop it from rolling, I know I'm going to roll my ankle out on the course. So Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to train my body specifically to rebound from it. And that all starts with, okay, what are the mechanics that you need to recover from whatever the injury is? I mean, I used the exact same example with my dad a couple of days ago when he decided he wanted to start lifting. And I said, in life, I'm not training you to never have a back issue. So we're just not going to avoid, or so we're just going to avoid deadlifts or whatever else. I'm like, you still have to be able to pick things up. If I say, well, I don't want your back to hurt. So we're not going to deadlift. Then when you do go to pick things up in your daily life, you're more likely to hurt your back. Or if you're walking, and you trip over the sidewalk. I want you to be able to trip and catch yourself, recover from that before 
any kind of injuries really happen. And a lot of people don't grasp that concept. We need to train our body for the rebound to snap back into place. That is what true stability means. So figuring out what is pulling in specific areas to cause the compensations that we experience. That is where we really need to focus all of our time. And that's, again, why I say everybody should have a coach because they need an unbiased eye to say, hey, you have this going on, this going on, this going on, because we all have blind spots when it comes to our own body. Mm -hmm. You know, you know that you have severely messed up your foot. So the doctor said you're never going to be able to push off from your foot again. So, okay, well, if the doctor says this, it must be true. I guess I just don't have to work on it. No, you need to work on it. There's probably some other underlying issues going on that you need that trained eye to say, hey, I know you have all of this stuff going on, but really, did you know that you're missing this? And it could be your shin is just very tight. I know when I started, the first time I did yoga, my boxing coach said, hey, you need to go to yoga. I said, I'm hypermobile. I don't need yoga. I'm very flexible. And then I went into yoga and they shifted my body in a little way. And I was like, ooh, oh, that's like really tough on my hamstrings, but I can like, you know, hold my leg up next to my head. Like I have really flexible hamstrings, but they weren't flexible the way they should be. They were flexible in the way that my body had adapted to what I had done through gymnastics and cheerleading for years. Mm -hmm. So now I wasn't able to actually recruit my hamstrings how I needed to recruit my hamstrings because they didn't know how to function in their improper positions. Once I got them, you know, mobile in the ranges that they were supposed to be working in the planes of motion that they were supposed to be, then they could start actually assisting in you know, my glute control and they played a factor in my running and whatever else. So a lot of people say, oh, my hamstrings are really tight. I don't need to deadlift because my hamstrings just always feel really tight. And deadlifting is only going to make my hamstrings tighter. No, that's false. You need to stretch your hamstrings. You need to get them back working in their proper range of motion. And then you need to strengthen that different range of motion. We can even build mobility through range of motion. So as you gain more length in your hamstrings, you want to strengthen that new length. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things, and that's one thing that I need to get back into. I used to, when I started running before I hurt my foot and everything, um, my wife worked at 24 hour fitness. So I could go into any of the classes I felt like. So I'd go to yoga like twice a week. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And my legs never felt better. And I think that's one of the things I'm missing is I haven't been doing that because I'm horrible, horrible about stretching. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm the first to admit it. I'm horrible about doing the stretching. And that's where I think my biggest problem that I'm running into, which, you know, you tell me right now, the shin splints, you know, my shins might be for my calves because I keep stretching the calf when the real problem is my shins, you know, or, you know, yeah. So that might be one of those things I need to look at. I mean, I've been working on the breathing, trying to get that better with meditation, but the, the stretching, I think, is another thing that needs to be added in there. So I got to figure out the what would be the best stretches for the shins. 
So I like to start by just sitting on your knees. So like you're sitting on the ground, you have your lower legs underneath you and you sit back onto your heels. See if you can do that because you just, so you sit on the top of your foot and that should give you a good stretch in your shins. If you can do that and you can sit comfortably onto your heels, it's gonna be a serious quad stretch, but it'll also stretch your shins. So you'll feel it in the tops of your feet. If you can do that, then you just lean back and you pick your knees up. And that's gonna be a solid, um, like static stretch. And it'll be pretty intense if you're really tight with it. I also like to roll my shins or I'll take a lacrosse ball and I will uh, press down and like, I will separate my shins from like from the bone mm-hmm. and press down there and then pump my foot just like I'm pressing on the gas pedal as I'm pressing on the shin. Hmm. I'm try that one. It does explain why when I was younger, I didn't have problems with the shin stuff. Cause I was in a, I stretched them a lot because in martial arts, that's how we had to sit. Oh yeah. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of people don't even think about that as a stretch if they've done it like all of their life. I would never have considered it a stretch for anything because that's just how I'm comfortable. I mean, I sit on my heels all the time. It's just, I'm naturally flexible. So that is, again, how we would sit as well in gymnastics. But then I said that to some clients and they can't sit that back to save their life. They're in so much pain with it. Like, okay, mm-hmm. let's bring it back a little bit, stand up and just tuck your toe and keep your legs straight and try to put a little pressure onto the bottom of, or onto the top of your foot. And they're like, well, yeah. So mm-hmm. there's a good amount of types of shin stretching that you can do. And it does, Uh, you do see some huge relief when it is really tight and then it will play a big factor in your running gait. I'm going to have to try that one. Yeah. Like I said, when I was in martial arts, because I took martial arts through most of my teen years and anytime we weren't actively doing something, we were supposed to sit, you know, sit in that position on the hardwood floor. And I got to a point where I could literally like kind of put my feet off to the side and sit in between my feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. I could, instead of sitting on my heels, I could almost put my, my, my butt on the ground, but that was the only place I was flexible. My, like said, hamstrings, I've never been able to touch my toes. Okay. Like ever. Even when I was in martial arts, I could kick above my head. I could do, but I could never, that stretch in my hamstrings. I could never mm-hmm. get, I could get down about halfway down my calves. I could not get all the way down to where I could touch the floor. Okay. So how does deadlifting feel for you now? It's difficult because a lot of times I can't get, I mean, the the muscle is fine, but yeah, anytime I have to stretch it, that's when I had the problems. But deadlifts, I've never had a real problem with that because I have to bend, but I bend my knees. I have to. So you don't stiff leg deadlift ever? No, I have to bend my knees. Yeah, because I can't, unless the bar was, you know, up above, close to my knees. There's no way. Okay. My body would just won't. I can't stretch that way, so I have to grab it. You know, my knees bent. Good to know. I have some things that I think 
you could benefit from. <laughs> well, my, my goal right now is because I have the, the list from you, the workouts that I'm supposed to be doing. And I've be honest, we both know I've been slacking the entire month of August. We already mentioned this. Mm-hmm. So my goal is right now, as of tomorrow, it's always tomorrow, right? It's always uh, tomorrow. Always tomorrow. So I'm going to put the list up on my wall in my gym and I'm going to be going out there at least once a day and doing something. And I'm going to follow the, follow it and do something. Cause I need to, you know, I think my biggest problem is for, you know, from January to, to the end of July, I was doing a lot ish, but it was a lot of running and there was nothing else involved with that. And I think that's where my problem is. I completely plateaued on the running, never gave my legs a break, never did anything. And I think in a lot of ways, I was actually doing more damage than I probably was doing help inside by the end of it. And that's kind of why I need to get back into what got me to lose the weight in the first place was running is cardio along with everything else. And that's where I've I've slacked this year is I really pushed on just the running and kind of slacked on everything else where I did, Mm -hmm. you know, during COVID, I was doing a lot of running, but then I was doing a lot of workouts that involves, you know, sandbag burpees and rocking and stuff like that. But it wasn't just carrying heavy weight and running with it. It was going and then doing workouts with, you know, a rock that was full of, you know, 40 pounds and stuff like that. And, you know, presses overhead and everything like that. And that's where I think this year I've, I've kind of failed myself is not doing anything with that running. So that's why I need to, you know, put together that list. I've got it printed out. I just need to put it on the wall so I can see it because I'm, I'm old and I like paper and I like things on the wall. So, Hey, I, I love pr- things printed out and like actually writing. I still do, write all of my programs in a notebook. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need this computer stuff. I use the computer stuff to like send the programs, but I, I write it all out on paper first and foremost. Yeah. So I'm going to put that up in the gym and start like focusing again, hard focus on everything else. Cause that's yeah. one thing I feel like today where it was one of those, the running and everything else. And I mean, taking the month off, I think was good, but I'm not feeling well. And that was another issue, but I don't think uh, that was a hundred percent my issue today. Part of my issue, I think, along with that, the the triathlon wasn't just that I'm not feeling 100%. I think they're, they're, I'm still having issues from that, you know, seven months of running three miles a day. Yeah, I think from, from what you've told me you you had been doing, I think you were overtraining yourself in the wrong kind of training. Mm-hmm. Now that you have your Garmin, have you been tracking your progress? And like, does your Garmin give you a, like a productivity? Yes. Ranking? Where, where does it say you're at right now? Um, well, let me see if I can find it. Uh, it says productive fitness okay. up and load up, but I just did a, yes. a triathlon. So that's probably why it's up right now. Yes. But my I VO2, mean, my VO2 sucks. I will say that. I know it's it not on here. Dropped recently. No, I don't think so. Let me look okay. at that. Oh, as I hit the, the microphone. Um where's the Garmin app? I don't think it has. It's kind of stayed the same, but okay. it was it's it's not good. I'm in like the 20% for my age range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not doing good, buddy. I was trying to see. Where is it? There we go. Stats. I don't remember where it's at in here. I've seen it. 
I've seen it somewhere in this stupid app. I'm still getting used to the Garmin. I got so used to like all my other stuff that, you know, where is performance stats? There we go. VO2 says I'm at 35 and it's pretty much stayed steady there. Okay. So ultimately we can look at how you want, um, in order to become more productive, we would look at the types of runs that you're doing and the mm -hmm. types of workouts and, you know, separate them into that low aerobic, the high aerobic and the anaerobic that your Garmin would already factors things into. Okay. So most likely when you are doing the 5k a day, you are staying only in that high aerobic. Most mm -hmm. likely I'm assuming that you are just going out and running a 5k, however you felt like doing it, which is often, you know, running to run it where, you know, I, I want to stay running this entire time and I just want to get it over with. Yeah. So then you're not doing it in more of that conversation pace. You're doing it more in a high aerobic zone. And if you do too much high aerobic, then your high aerobic bucket can only hold so much before it's like, hey, you're not getting anything out of this anymore. And now we are going to start tanking your fitness because we can't hold on to everything. So your fatigue is up. So you're more tired. Your body is more damaged. So you're more likely to get injured. You're more likely to get sick. You're more likely to lose motivation to work out because you are so tired and because your body is damaged. So it all kind of plays into that role so then you hit this spot in august where you're like i'm exhausted i don't want to do anything mm -hmm. and that is a chronic sign of the overreaching or overtraining and uh, there are other factors that we can play in like how was your diet you've already said you know you your sleep hasn't been great yeah. because of the tooth stuff but how was your sleep before then did you feel like you were constantly tired you just couldn't get enough sleep or did the sleep feel like it really rejuvenated you every day? Yeah, up until the end of July, I wasn't, didn't feel like I was getting enough, but I think that was like we said, that was the overtraining and everything mm -hmm. else. I think my body was just like, you know, and that was kind of the thing at the end of July, it was like, my body's just like, you're done. You need to take a break. And it's since August up until I started, you know, having the tooth issue and having the tooth pulled, it was... I was, I was feeling actually good sleep. And according to the Garmin, I was getting, you know, seven ish a night, which for me is about normal. You know, I'm not one that sleeps a lot. My whole life I've kind of been that way, but it was good sleep. And I was waking up rested. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, having that, like, you know, falling asleep in the car while trying to drive and everything else. And, but, you know, like I said, the last week's been different, but that's a whole nother issue. So. Yeah. So it sounds like you were definitely overtraining. And that's where we say you need to train smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. You are training harder. And because of it, your body was like, hi, I'm working too hard. Now I'm going to start tanking everything. So when you get to that point, you literally just need to stop. And I mean, I hit that a couple of weeks ago. And I said, I was racing. I was training so hard. Um, I was like, I have no motivation for any of these workouts. My diet wasn't where I needed it to be. I wasn't getting the sleep that I wanted. It's super hot here in Boston apartments are not insulated very well. We're, you know, not allowed to have air conditioning. So I'm like sweating 
like dripping in sweat in the middle of the night, can't sleep at all. And I have to be up at 4.30 every morning. Like I wasn't getting anywhere near this, anything I needed to recover. Mm-hmm. And because of it, I couldn't get anything out of my workouts. I was exhausted. So I knew that I was reaching the point where I was feeling the overtraining symptoms coming on. Like, okay, I still did my runs when I needed to, but I didn't strength train said, I, I'm only going to do things that I enjoy. And I had said, you know, Friday, I really want to get a strength training workout. in. I woke up like, there's no way I'm doing anything. And then instead I went out with friends. I went to the Red Sox game. I had a great time. I didn't eat very well, but you know, I enjoyed myself and I did that. You're not supposed to eat well. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, I did, you know, I had two nights where I was going out with friends and just being social and that's what I needed. I needed to feel like I had a personal life, that there was more of a purpose to my life than just training. And I, I just needed something that brought me joy. And then the next, then I went out on Saturday morning for my long run with the group. And it was the best long run I had ever done. Then I woke up on Sunday feeling great. I had slept so well. And the first thing I did was go to the gym and work out. Sundays aren't a lifting day for me, but I was like, you know, I really want to just go lift. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've been feeling phenomenal. I have the motivation to work out again. And you just have to listen to your body and say, you know, I'm not feeling like working out. I'm not going to work out. So I always tell my clients after the race season, because you've looked at training, like it's your job for so long, take some time off. Don't run unless you really want to run. Don't lift unless you really want to lift. No workouts should feel like an obligation for you. It should be something that you genuinely want to do. Find things that bring you joy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to eat clean and healthy. If you want to go and have a cheeseburger and a beer at a baseball game, go have a cheeseburger and a beer at a baseball game. Go out, talk to your family, your friends, do something that brings you joy. I mean, the Fenway night, I went to bed at 11 o'clock at night and I woke up at 530 in the morning and I didn't get sleep at all, but I felt so rejuvenated just because I found joy again. It's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this now. And I think that's one of the hard parts for me was by the end of July, when I was doing the, the 5k a day, it wasn't joyful for me anymore. Where normally, you know, and it, it's weird for me to say this. I, w- I did find joy in, in running and that was kind of, it was my meditation. It was my time to just go and check out. I mean, most people know I do comedy. Most of the comedy jokes that I write, it's while I'm running. I'm mm-hmm. running because my brain is, you know, locked into a whole nother area. There's nobody talking to me. There's nothing. I'm just, my music's on and I'm just going. It's, it's my happy place. And by the end of July, it wasn't. I, yeah. I was just, it was, like you said, it was work. It wasn't my happy place. And that's when I needed that. You know, I knew I needed to step back and just, you know, make it a happy place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. I try to live by the mantra, like, what's the point of living if you're not having fun? Like everything you do in life should bring you joy. Yes. If you're not, having fun with it why are you doing it and I genuinely love 
training. I love racing. I, I hate to say it, but I'm even loving running. And when I feel like I'm not getting joy out of it, then I know, okay, I need to take a step back for a second. I need to recover. I need to do, find something that's going to make me happy again. And my body will tell me when I'm ready to get back into training. Yes. Yeah. So I know you're still a couple weeks out from the Ironman. Mm -hmm. So you still have to stay on track with everything. Yes. Um, Do what you can with it. And as soon as you're done with the Ironman, I'd say still try and get decent recovery. Don't just stop everything you're doing you need a week of like recovery cardio and yoga and other kinds of stability mobility work but after a week or two like once you get into October or whatever if you have nothing on the schedule take some time for yourself don't feel like you need to get right back into 5k a day or even one mile a day just find what makes you happy and when your body is ready to get back to structured training you'll know yeah well i know after iron man the only thing i have on my schedule is the end of october is going to dallas so okay yeah but i mean it's a flat ultra the hardest part in dallas is just the obstacles okay technically i'm signed up for the beast but I have like four friends that are trying to convince me to upgrade that to a, to an ultra. So, <laughs> cause that'll be trifecta number three for the year. So, oh nice. cause I did Santa Fe. I did the, oh not Santa Fe, San Antonio. Oh, okay. The, 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 the super in the sprint. I did the, the ultra super in San, San Antonio as they called it. Oh, right. The lap San Antonio. Yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. I'd do it again though, but it was horrible. <laughs> All right. Well, we're a little bit over the hour where Dawn gets all cranky and stuff, but so anything you want to tell everyone before we go, besides to look for all that abominable stuff? And yeah, definitely videos? look for all of the abominable stuff. That's going to be really fun for me to have liberty to just kind of give a bunch of training insights and info to new crowds. And we're going to be trying to tailor it more towards the snow race as mm-hmm. we get into the winter. So that'll also be a nice little change. We're not sticking to any real format as of right now in terms of, you know, obstacles versus gear versus running or whatever else. So if anybody has any kind of info that they are looking to get out of the training content, let me know. And I am happy to put it out there. Perfect. Otherwise, I'm just gearing up for OCRWC in a couple of weeks. I'm super excited about it. And just staying focused with training now. Yeah. And that's kind of me. I need to get back on the focus. It was kind of one of those things. I think August was a good break for a bit, but, and it's one of those things I I feel like after today, like after everything that went today, everything didn't, you know, go the way I wanted, but it still felt good to get Mm -hmm. out there and do it. Um, I I missed the like pushing myself and everything. Cause in Hawaii, I mean, on the Spartan races, I didn't push hard. Because the hard thing that I was really in my brain, I kept thinking, and it was always in the back of my brain is if I make a mistake here and I hurt myself, I'm done. And the Ironman, which I've been pushing for, 
is going to be, be, you know, a problem. That's why, you know, but on the triathlons, I don't have the obstacles. I don't have to worry about falling. I don't have to worry about any of that. And I could really push myself in the triathlon. So it felt good to get back out and do that. So I definitely want to get the the training back going and get ready for the, I mean, it's only two weeks, but I mean, I, I, I feel like I have enough of a base that I can do quite a bit in those two weeks to be ready for that. So, good. but just not too much. That's, that's where that, like we've talked before, it's that balance. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, go into the Ironman, you know, on burnout. Yeah. But I want to be ready for it too. So, so you, you're two weeks away. So really you could have used today as your last big build. And now you can go into your taper. Mm. There's a good amount of time because it is a longer event. So start to taper from here. With your runs, slowly pull back on the distance that you're running. Same with your swims, your rides, whatever else. Like, I don't know exactly what your training calendar looks like in terms of how much you're biking versus swimming and running but you know August was a bad month I didn't do anything so but okay you know get in some sprint workouts but don't go for quite as long as you normally would keep your sprint speed up though you know go for steady state conversation pace you know everything but again pull back on the time don't pull back on the intensity same with any kind of tempo work, like comfortable, uncomfortable work. Um, Keep, just pull back the volume. So pull back on the length that you're doing it, but keep the intensity high. And then as you get closer to the Ironman, the workouts get shorter and shorter, but you're keeping your body moving and working and functioning in its proper way. And then any strength training you're doing, stay to your strength stability. You know, get in some deadlifts, but don't go too crazy with sets and reps. Still continue to get in, you know, your single leg work. Still continue to get in plyometrics. But again, don't go for as many sets and reps. Keep weight relatively where it had been or where you feel most comfortable with it. And then just as you get closer, workouts get shorter. Yeah, I'll have to work on that, so. Perfect. Well, as always, thank you for talking to me. And always a pleasure. We'll definitely do this again because we'll 100%. Move on, so yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear how the Iron Man goes. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. Yeah.